Hello everybody. For those of you who don't know, I own and operate Timeless Custom Leather. Timeless specializes in creating 100% handcrafted leather goods right here in Grimes County, Texas. It would mean the world to me if you would take a minute or two out of your day and follow Timeless on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us on Facebook at Timeless Custom Leather and also on Instagram at Timeless Custom Leather. As always, I couldn't do this without you guys. Love you. Now back to the mind of a maker. we're rolling all right welcome back everybody to the mind of a maker podcast today is july 26th when we are recording this episode Um, it's going to be two weeks before it comes out but i couldn't wait to get this guy in here so i think y'all are really going to enjoy it um without making y'all wait any longer in here with me today is james ellis james how are you buddy I'm, i'm good man how are you i'm doing well little introduction to who james is um if you're from Iola or just Grimes County in general, you probably know who James is, but he is a local law enforcement officer, homegrown Iola guy, um, just an all-around great person. Um, I'll pass it over to James, let him sort of introduce himself, give you a rundown of who he is, all that good stuff. Yeah, man, so um, my family and I, you know, originally I was born in Birmingham, Alabama, which, uh, you know, not a lot of people know. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we were, <clears throat> that's where the majority of my family are from is, you know, northern Alabama, southern Georgia, and, um, which obviously explains the, the fact I'm a big Roll Tide fan. Yeah, I, I was wondering where that came from. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what, them, them folks over in Alabama are crazy about their football. They're die hard over there, aren't they? Very much so. You know, it's kind of one of those deals where, you know, there, there's no professional sports in the state. Yeah. And no MLB, NBA, no NFL team, so they're kind of one of those deals, you know, they they uh they're die hard when it comes to Alabama football and but uh yeah I was born in Birmingham um I was roughly six months old or so when family... try to talk right there James yeah sorry not to cut you off yeah better yeah much better uh, the uh the family picked up and moved to uh to Texas here and you know growing up my my stepdad was a roofer mm-hmm. so he uh you know we kind of chased the storms and moved around a lot when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, lived all around the Houston area. Uh, my stepdad's family is all from the Eunice, Louisiana locations. And so we, uh, back and forth between Houston and Louisiana areas growing up. And, and, uh, in 98, my family, uh, my grandmother, uh, bought a place over, uh, between Shiro and B-Dyes, basically, is when I kind of made my introduction to Grimes County. I was nine years old, and uh, so I went to school in Anderson there for a little while. Um, went to elementary there for a few years, and then moved away and came back in junior high. And uh, my, uh, my freshman year of high school, I moved in with my grandmother, uh, who lived up here in, in Iola. Started going to school there. Um, I graduated in 2007, and, uh, you know, I know this is obviously a topic we'll probably get to in a minute, you know, regarding the, the career path and yeah. stuff, but, um, man, I'm I'm just like a lot of people, you know, <laughs> I, being, 
high school, I had no idea. Uh, yeah, you know I, that's a question I was gonna ask you. Yeah, man, I, I've I've uh, I've listened to the the previous four episodes. I love what you're doing, man. This Thank is awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, I love listening to podcasts. Uh, you know, obviously, I ride around in a patrol car uh, <laughs> for many hours throughout the day, and so I get to listen to a lot of stuff. And um, so, yeah, I'm kind of familiar on on what's to come here. But they, uh, you know, listening to your podcast, your first few episodes and stuff, I realize, you know, man, you and I got a lot in common. Yeah, man, we're we're big sports fans. <laughs> I love to play golf. Uh, yeah, I saw that recently. I didn't yeah. know you were that into it, and then. I thought, you know, we're friends on Snapchat. Just, I think you're friends with everybody on Snapchat if you're from Iowa. So, yeah, I saw you on Snapchat the other day. I was like, Dad, I got to go golfing with James, son. That'd be pretty fun. Oh, yeah. absolutely, man. I you... try to go once a week if I can, if it allows me. But... Yeah. You name the, the time and place, and I'm there, <laughs> dude. I, I love to play. I'm not very good at it. Uh, I don't think any of us are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, my best round at, at this point. And my uh, very short golf career, I shot a 94. So I'm well. I mean, 94. <laughs> anything under 100, I would say, is pretty good for anything. You know, starting out or at least not been playing for years. I just now got to where I can shoot in the 80s. Yeah. You know, but when I say in the 80s, it might be 87, 88, 89. Right. But it's you know, I just now got to where I could do that pretty consistently. So yeah, man, I'm. I'm on the quest to break 90. Yeah. So it, once it, you once you do it, you'll break it once, and then you'll go back to shooting 90 for a couple of weeks, and yeah. then you'll finally, it'll finally get there, but yeah. shoot, anything under 100 for us is probably pretty good, I would think. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you, that's for sure. The only thing I hate about it, man, is there's really not that many golf courses around here. Yeah. You know, I, we talk about it all the time, and not to bash anybody, I don't know who listens to this podcast, but. You know, Navasota Pecan Lakes used to be really nice yep. when we were in high school and stuff, when Jamie and I were younger, playing golf out there, and it's just sort of sort of tailed off now, and yeah. so that was like the one that we would always go play at, and right. now it's tough because, like, you got to drive to, you know, me and Jamie, we drive to Magnolia and play, or Montgomery and play uh, Margaritaville a lot, Okay, and that's a nice one, but one, you got to drive all the way over there, too, it costs $75 every time you play. Yeah, that's so, real. <laughs> Yeah, man, I think the last couple times I played down at uh, at Pecan Lakes in Navasota, you know, they're, something's up with the greens. And, yeah, they got temporary greens yeah, or just all kind of stuff. And yeah. if you don't have good greens, it just makes the game not – Yeah. It makes it not very fun. So. But I, I truly enjoy playing Navasota because it's so wide open. Yes. I don't, I don't lose near as many golf balls. <laughs> it's a really fun course. Like, it's yeah. a it's a fun course to just go out there and have, like, a nice round of golf. It is, it's a fun course. I just – I'm sure they'll get it back. I'm, you know, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I'm sure they'll get it all fixed up. But right, right. Just in the meantime, it's tough to find a, a decent course around here. And if they are decent, they're private. So. Yeah, yeah. It's I've had the opportunity a few times to go play uh, Pebble Creek. Um, yeah. You know, with with my brother-in-law and uh, you know, with some of his family members and stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, man, I love that golf course. Yeah. It's it's beautiful out there. I've never been to Pebble Creek. Oh, I have gotten lucky enough to play traditions a few times, but uh never been to Pebble Creek. I'm trying to talk Corden to buy a membership out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got it right. <laughs> I told him I said I'll pay um I'll do half of the initial payment if you pay the monthly payment. <laughs> so yeah. I'm trying to sweet talk him but he just keeps telling me, well, you buy one out there, and I'll go golf with you. So yeah. we're just going back and forth on that. We'll probably just golf all the public courses until yeah. something like that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we sort of touched on it, man. Obviously, um, 
you're in law enforcement. Um, 2023 best law enforcement officer in Grimes County. Yeah, that was. Should I say? That was pretty cool, man. <laughs> that was I, a neat one. There's nobody more deserving, though. I think everybody really appreciates having you around. So. Well, thank you for that, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. If you will, touch on a little bit. Sort of tell us what it is that you do, how you got into it. I yeah. remember talking to you years ago, and you said that you never thought you would be a cop. So No, and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that kind of wonder how I got to be on this side of the law, uh, to be honest with you. I, uh, you know, being in high school, man, it's it was kind of one of those things where I thought I had my career mapped out for myself. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I thought I wanted to go into coaching ball, and that was uh, kind of one of the things that piqued my interest, you know, mm-hmm. early on. And, uh, but, you know, I, that's why I truly believe that God has a plan for everybody's life and that, that your life is mapped out for you, whether you want it to be or not. Yeah. And, uh, cause you know, there was several doors that were opened and closed for me that eventually led to me getting into law enforcement, you know, I was, so when I, I graduated high school in 2007, I, um, you know, I had, I'd already been accepted in the Sam Houston State University, so I knew I was going to go, uh, you know, the fall semester, I was going to start my, my freshman year of college there, but kind of over the summer months, I, you know, needed something to do to make some sort of income, mm-hmm. so uh, I had an uncle down, uh, he lives on the west side of Houston, I had another cousin that was a supervisor at uh, at a plant in the, in the oil field, and so I moved in with my, my uncle down in Houston, and um you know, I started working for this. It was basically a, a manufacturer yard. So everything for an oil rig was manufactured at this location. And, you know, I was just aroused about. So it was, you know, as different parts of the, the, the rig were being manufactured, it was our job to get it all put together. They would test everything on site and we'd tear it all back down, put it on a, on a rig and ship it out. And, uh, you know, I was, that was, pretty rough way to make a living. Yeah. Uh, I learned real quick that that was something I didn't want to do. Cause, the manual labor wasn't for everybody. Man, it was rough. I tell you, we worked uh, 12-hour days, six days a week, and, and there was a couple weeks there where we, we worked Sundays too. So, I mean, it yeah, was... Yeah, that's rough. Yeah, them 12-hour days and that July Texas heat is and no the, fun. And the Houston uh, humidity. Oh, I'm telling <laughs> you, man. It doesn't help any either. It, it was terrible. And so, you know, I, I did that over the summer months, and... Um, it, uh, I moved back to Grimes County, and um, I so I went to fish camp, you know, over at, at San Houston, where they, you know, kind of take you around, show you around the campus, and you know, you spend the night in the dorm and all mm-hmm. that, and then you know, you go with your meet with your advisor on all the classes and stuff. And well, I went to fish camp with my wife Kayla and uh, her best friend Lexi Wheaton. Well. Uh, so when it came time to be in that lab to sign up for the classes, you know, obviously being with two pretty girls, I was a little preoccupied and I wasn't, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> you are worried about classes. <laughs> I could care less, man. So I'm, uh, that's not why I went to college either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was, uh, so I'm, you know, I'm kind of rushing through the whole registration process and, you know, just focused on what we're going to do when we get out that day. And I, uh, well, I signed up for Monday, Wednesday, Friday classes. And they register for Tuesday, Thursday classes. So the days that I was in school at Sam, 
they were working. <laughs> and the days that they were in school, you know, obviously I wasn't there, so I didn't know anybody that, yeah. you know, going to college. And I, so it, I didn't pay attention and I had like a two hour gap between my second and third. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, so it's like, I, you know, I find myself in McDonald's in Huntsville sitting with all my books doing homework and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, about midway through that semester, I said, man, this ain't for me. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's almost like being right back in high school again. And I didn't know anybody. I wasn't having fun whatsoever. So I, um, I had, uh, my roommate at the time, uh, Pat Sanchez, his brother, uh, was working for a dealership over in, in College Station at Garland Shelton. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was one of their Volkswagen mechanics, and um, he got me a job. Uh, basically, it was a, a porter. I would just, you know, people drop off their car. I'd drive it around back and drop it whatever bay it was going to. And uh, But I had an opportunity with the uh, service advisor there kind of early on. Um I moved from being a porter to changing oil and tires and stuff at this dealership. And um, it was, I, I wasn't sure if that was something I wanted to do, but, you know, the service advisor had approached me and the dealership uh, offered to send me through um, the ITT technical course mm-hmm. to, to become a mechanic, either for Volkswagen or BMW. And so I kind of explored that option there for a little while. And, uh, but Garland Shelton had a, a service. I'm not sure if they still do it at this time or not, but they had a service where, you know, if you're a member, you drive um, a particular brand vehicle and you worked in the Bryan College Station area during the day while you're at work, we would come and pick your car up for you, bring it to the dealership, change your oil, tires, whatever service you needed, and we'd bring it back to your, your job. Well, one of the vehicles that we went and picked up one day uh, belonged to a, uh, she was a jailer that worked for the Brazos County Sheriff's Office at the time. And she was in the courthouse. And so, you know, I went and picked up her vehicle, came back, did the service. And when I went to bring it back, I, I was giving her keys inside. And I said, ma'am, you know, this is law enforcement. is something I've been interested in, you know, basically my, my adult life, and you know, where I was at that point. And I said, you know, what, what's it going to take for me to get started? You mm-hmm. know, and so she, she went in her office right then and there and printed me out a, an application and, she said, you know, fill out this application and, and get it back to me as soon as you can. And, you know, we'll see what we can get going. Well, it was with the Brazos County Sheriff's Office at the time. So the, um, I did the application. I got a call from uh, Brian Bachman, um, who was a deputy constable or the, the elected constable that was mm-hmm. shot and killed in, in College Station. I, I mean, rest in peace. Yeah. Um, he was a great guy. Well, he was a recruiting officer for the Brazos County Sheriff's Office at the time. And I went in and met with him, and like I said, he was a great guy, man. I mean, just as nice as could be. And we, uh, there's an entry-level test that you take, it just kind of basic high school stuff. I took this test, and uh, he said, all right, man, you know, if you can get a hold of your, your uh, personal history state or your criminal history from Austin, you had to get them at the time through Austin through DPS, uh, just to show, obviously, that there were no prior. Not felon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no kidding. <laughs> um he said, you know, you get that into me as soon as you can, and, uh, and you know, we'll get you started over here. Well, I had applied with Grimes County in the meantime mm-hmm. while I was away, while, you know, I was waiting to hear back from them guys, and and um, I got a call from uh, the, the jail lieutenant 
at the time, her name was Jennifer Matichek. I love her to death. And one of the best bosses I've ever worked for to this day. That's in Grimes. She's in Grimes County. She was in Grimes County. Yes, sir. And this was in uh, December of 2007. And uh, she called and asked if I come in for an interview. And uh, man, I'll never forget. I was obviously working at a dealership that day. Well, I had scheduled the interview that afternoon, and my service advisor let me off. Well, I mean, you know how it is with your hands. Your hands are all greasy. Oh, man. It was <laughs> dirty and sweaty. Yeah. Like, I, I try to change into, like, really nice clothes, and but I'm looking down at my hands, and I had oil under my fingers and that, just stuff I couldn't get out, you know, and so I... But they thought you were coming to turn yourself in. Yeah. For an interview. But you know what's funny about that is I found out years later that the oil under my fingernails are the only reason I got hired in the, in the first place. Really? Yeah. Everything just, just happened to work out. So, um, Bud Trent was yeah. a sergeant in the jail at the time and Jennifer Matichek was a Lieutenant. And I went in, uh, for my interview that particular day and, I spoke with me and Bud Trent became really close after that. He was he was one of my mentors early on, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed working for him. And uh, him and I were talking, you know, a couple years later, once I had gone on a patrol and such. And he said, "You know, I'll never forget when you walked into that interview room." And he said, "You didn't look the greatest." And he said, "You know, <laughs> yeah, I could tell you'd been sweating all day." And he said, "Yeah, that oil all over your fingers and your hands didn't look too good." He said, "But." When you walked out, we were kind of on the fence as to whether or not we wanted to hire you. And he said, I, I told Lieutenant Matichek at the time, he said, did you see his hands? She said, well, no, I guess I didn't pay attention to that. He said, I'm telling you right now, he'll work. Yeah. Just get him in here. He'll work. He'll, he'll, he'll work out for us. Well, you know, she wasn't too keen on hiring young kids fresh out of high school to go work in a jail setting. You know, yeah. I mean, a, a lot of the folks that worked back there were elderly at the time. And so, uh, lucky for me, she gave me the opportunity. And, uh, so I started in the jail in January of 2008 and, uh, which was a surreal experience. And, you know, I, I'll tell everybody to this day, I, I feel like anybody that ever decides that they want to be a police officer should have to work in a corrections setting. Yeah. For a minimum of two years. Well, that's what I was going to ask you anyways. Like, is that like a, with you saying that, obviously it's probably not, but it's, I was going to ask you, is that standard like to start off being a jailer? You know, do a lot of people do that and sort of work their way up like you have or? So not necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, now the, the Brazos County Sheriff's Office does require that you start in the jail. I know that they're one of the surrounding agencies that does require that, but some don't. Yeah. It, it really just depends on the circumstances. And which at the time, you know, when I was working in the jail there, I was only 18, 19 years. I just turned 19, I think. Yeah. So I wasn't old enough to go through a police academy anyways. How old do you have? I didn't know. I thought you, I yeah. just figured you had to be 18. Or... No, you, you've got to be 21 to be a police officer. Oh, okay. you got to be 21 to carry a handgun anyways. Yeah, okay. So, well, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we, um, but I, I tell you, some of the best experience that I ever gained in law enforcement in general was gained working in that jail. Yeah. And I say that because, you know, th those guys back there, you, you really have to, <clears throat> you, you kind of learn how to talk to people. I was going to, yeah, how to communicate with people who maybe you're not seeing eye to eye with That's at right. the same time. <laughs> That's right. And the thing is, is, you know, it, a, a lot of the folks 
that are in jail, especially in county jail facilities, are honest people mm-hmm. that made a mistake. Yeah, they just messed up. They, they messed up, and, you know, there's a lot of them made mistakes that I've made in my life, and, you know, I was just fortunate enough to not get caught, yeah. you know, and, and they did. So uh, you kind of you learn the human aspect of being in law enforcement and dealing with people and having empathy for the situations that, you know, they found themselves in. And it, it really worked out to benefit me in the long run, too, because, you know, obviously a lot of the guys that I dealt with working in the jail, I dealt with years later on the streets. Yeah. <laughs> well, lucky for me, some of those guys... Remembered how you treated them. That's absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. it was, there was a respect factor there because, you know, I wasn't just the jerk that came in just barking orders. and Yeah. And uh, so what you, goes around comes around. <laughs> that's absolutely right. And I, I try to tell some of these guys that come out, you know, you you've really got to, uh, you know, you treat people how you want to be treated. Yeah. And, you know, that's one thing I can't stand to see is, you know, an individual that that has a little bit of authority and that oversteps his bounds. Yeah, because they just take it and run with it. I hate that. Too. <laughs> I, I hate seeing it, man, because, you know, and it, it honestly gives the rest of us a bad name that are truly in it for the right yeah. reasons. And yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, I worked in the jail. Um, I was, it was probably about 18 months or so. Uh, we were short on dispatchers, so they cross-trained me to work in dispatch. So I had my jailer's license. I, I ended up getting my, my dispatcher's license. And I worked in dispatch for about six months. And uh, I'll never forget, it was probably July of 2009. I left the sheriff's office. Uh, my shift was done for the day, so I was going home. And I got a call from my captain at the time, Blake Jarvis, who uh-huh. is now the elected constable in Precinct 2. I love that guy to death, too. I, I follow him through hell and back. Yeah. And, uh, but I got a call from him, and he said, hey, you know, are you around the sheriff's office? I said, no, sir, I, I just left. You know, I just got off duty. He said, well, turn around and come back up here. You know, we, we need to talk to you. So... I came back to the sheriff's office and I walked in and it was the sheriff, our chief deputy at the time, my captain and my lieutenant. Well, not my lieutenant at the time, but lieutenant over patrol. And they said, hey, uh, you know, we've got a, a police academy that's starting next month. And, you know, are you interested in going? I was like, absolutely, dude. You know, that was, there was well, nothing more. That's why I'm here. <laughs> that's absolutely right. Nothing more to lit a fire under me than getting in a patrol car and riding around with some of these guys. Yeah. You know, as I took every opportunity I possibly could to get in the passenger seat of a patrol car before I was old enough to get in the passenger seat of a patrol <laughs> car and, uh, and ride around with these guys and, you know, really get to experience a lot of what they did before I decided that's what I wanted to do. And uh, so, man, I, I went through the police academy. We started in August of 2009. I was a Central Texas Police Academy through Teeks mm-hmm. over at Texas A&M. <clears throat> and, uh, man, that... My first probably six to eight weeks of that academy was absolutely brutal. Pretty rough, huh? Man, you know, we was, we'd have to get there at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, and, you know, we'd post colors, we'd go through inspection and stuff. And then it was classroom all day long until 4 p.m. And you know how it is in August in Texas at 4 p.m. Yeah, that's the hot yeah. part of the day there. Yes, sir. Well, they dismiss us at 4 o'clock, and it was straight to PT. Just straight to PT. Uh, uh, they, they were doing that on purpose, no oh, doubt. It was, <laughs> it was rough, man. I'd say it. Um, but it, it it got easier once we got more to, like, the hands-on stuff. Yeah. You know, we got to the – I do miss some of the days of the police academy because there was a lot of hands-on stuff that – 
I got to do then that I hadn't got to do since. And, you know, they've, they've got a big, uh, it's a big airport runway that or used to be a runway at one point in time. That's uh, their driving track now. And so you get out there and you can really. You get to whip it around. Yes, so. sir. You, you push these patrol cars to their max. And, uh, man, that was a lot of fun. We got to spend an entire week doing nothing but wow. driving uh, emergency vehicles. And, I mean, it was, you know, to. To know that that's something that you wanted to spend the rest of your life dedicating yourself yeah. toward, and then actually be behind the wheel and seeing the lights come on, doing it, and the <laughs> sirens are going, and you know we we had a really cool driving instructor, uh, Kyle McNew, and uh, man, there was a particular course where it was a timed course, and you had to get there as soon as you know as fast as you could, but if you struck any cones, you were immediately disqualified. Well. He turned up, so we turned the good time radio, which mm -hmm. is the the music. He turned that as loud as it goes. He turned on your sirens, and make you roll your windows down, and then he's riding in the passenger seat, screaming yeah, at the like top it. of his lungs, <laughs> taking any little bit of concentration. You absolutely, had. man. But it was so much fun, man. I, I, you know, I used to go back um, the last couple of weeks of the police academy. They do practical training exercises with the guys, so you know, I'd go over there and get roughed up by the cadets and mm -hmm. and. Um, you know, help them in their training stuff. And, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed doing that. Um, so I graduated from the police academy in December of 2009. Yeah, I'll never forget my captain at the time. He said, hey, uh, you know, we're, we're sitting pretty good on patrol. He said, so I know you just went through, you know, hell these last four months. He said, I'm, I'm going to give you a couple weeks off. Like, how the hell you are, buddy? No. I said, man, I'm, I said, I just went through all that. I said, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm going to work. Yes, like sir. Or not. So I, I graduated December the 4th, which was a Friday, and I started on patrol December 5th, yeah. Saturday night. And uh, it, it was just, there was so much about it. You know, I'll never forget being in the passenger seat my first night of FTO, our field training. And uh, the first in-progress call we got to go to and, you know, looking around in that car and seeing the, the red and blue lights reflecting off the buildings and your yeah. sirens going, and there's was, was a whole lot of excitement, man. And, you know, that's it's lucky like for me. The ultimate adrenaline rush every time. You uh, know, absolutely, just... man. It, it, lucky for me, it's uh, it's one of those things that I've never lost a passion for. Yeah. That's that, that's, that kind of stuff still excites me, yeah. you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's been a really cool experience over the years. You know, it's... I went to patrol in December 2009. Um, I worked on patrol for probably six or seven years or so. Um, then I was promoted to patrol uh, sergeant um, where there was a, a captain above me. And then I was a sergeant. I oversaw the patrol division there for a couple years. And then uh, in 2016, I was promoted to investigations, mm -hmm. which was a totally different animal. And, uh, you know, you, you go from running and gunning and being stressed out and, mm. you know, eating your meals in your car on the go to the next call <laughs> to sitting behind a desk and typing all day long. Yeah. It, was, it was a night and day difference, but man, I loved every bit of it. And, uh, you know, I was, I was promoted to investigations lieutenant in 2019 and uh, I maintained that position up until I transferred to the constable's office yeah. here in October of, of last year. So it's been a really cool ride, man. You've sort of been around the block and 
done every in and out job you can do, huh? That's the sheriff's office. I really have, man. I mean, starting from where I started in the jail to dispatch to patrol and the patrol sergeant and investigations, and it's, um, you know, that's. I, I get to tell a lot of people that that work for these bigger agencies mm-hmm. that uh, I've been around the block and seen a lot more than they've got to. Yeah. Because you know what. Smaller agencies don't have specialized divisions to be able to come in and do certain things. You know, you're kind of a one-man show out here. Yeah, you handle it all. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, no matter what the call is, if you're processing a crime scene to, I mean, it just all the above. You know, you had guys that uh, there'd be times, you know, after midnight, there'd only be two of us on in the entire county, you know, so... You'd be running to a, a major call by yourself, and you know the other guy's got his stuff going on. Yep. So kind of yep. a lone ranger mentality out there. <laughs> so you know that folks don't really have to deal with that in in bigger agencies. You know yeah, they got backup right around the corner. Yeah, and, uh, we, not much calling for backup around here. <laughs> no sir, yeah, we we definitely didn't get a whole lot of that yeah. around here. But so you yeah. like you said, you now transferred to the constable's office. What? Uh, what made you do that? You know, what what put that on you? So, uh, obviously, you know, December of this year will be 16 years that I've had with the county. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, our, our current constable here in Precinct 1 is Dale Sharper. And, uh, you know, Dale's been in office since 2005. And, you know, I've, I've had many conversations with Constable Sharper uh, over the past few years, uh, you know, regarding his elected position whenever he does decide that he's ready to retire. Um, so that's, that's my intentions. You know, it's whenever he decides that he's, he's ready to retire and he's going to hang it up and I want to run for that, that office. And, you know, hopefully I can get elected. I wouldn't think you'd have any problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I would hope not, but, uh, you know, you never know. I've, I've, uh, it's kind of cool doing the civil side of the law now, you know, because I mean, I spent, you know, well over the last 15 years dealing with nothing but the criminal side. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, being on the civil side of the law is cool coming to work every day because I'm still learning again, you know, and, and I'm, 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 I'll never be the one to sit here and tell you that I know everything when it comes to the criminal side of the law either. Cause I learned every day, you know, doing the, the different things that I did with the sheriff's office too. But the, the civil side of the law is a whole new ball game. You know, and sort of explain that for me because I don't know, and there might be people out there. What's the difference between the civil side and the criminal side, like you're saying? So, what is it that you deal with now compared to maybe some of the stuff you dealt with when yeah. you were so, at the sheriff's office? You know, on, on the criminal side of the law, you know, obviously it was any kind of criminal laws that were broken, mm-hmm. you know, and that's everything from traffic violations to homicides, yeah. right, which I've been involved in everything in between, you know. And but the, the civil side of the law is more kind of on the, the, the judicial side, if you will. So it's, uh, you know, we serve a lot of civil papers. Um, we bailiff one of the district courts here in the county, uh, which I've thoroughly enjoyed too, because, you know, there's a lot of stuff in a court setting that I had no idea took place until yeah. now. You know, it's, I've got to be a part of that since October of last year. So, um, you know, I don't know if I annoy our district judge or not, but I literally stand right in front, like where, where the attorneys are, because I don't want to miss anything. You know, that's, he, uh, but no, he, he doesn't seem to mind. We've got a great district judge and, and Judge Mormon. So, um, but yeah, and you know, what what's cool about being with the constable's office is, you know, majority of what we deal with is the civil side of the law, 
but we can also still enforce criminal laws. Yeah. So, you know, I, I get to kind of dabble in both now. And, yeah. and um, you know, on days when I'm not bailiff in court or I'm not out serving papers, I'm still, you know, doing drug interdiction. I'm still doing traffic enforcement in areas where people are having complaints. So it, there's never a dull moment in this position. Yeah. So it's, it's been pretty cool so far. Well, that's good. So where is, what is Precinct 1? So it's Iola, B-Dyes, sort of all the northern Grimes County area, if you would? or Basically, so uh, State Highway 30 is kind of the dividing line. Okay. Um, now, when you get to the other side of Rome's Prairie, I'm not sure if you're familiar with FM 2562, mm-hmm. but yep. we go south a couple miles, 2562, and then it kind of cuts over towards Shiro, and then it's Highway 30 in, in north, yeah. uh, out east of Shiro as well. So Okay. So, pretty broad area. Yeah, that's a pretty big chunk of the county there. It, it, when you look at it on a map, it looks like it's almost half the county. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, we're not near as populated as Precinct 2 or yeah. Precinct 3. You know, everything's kind of more spread apart up here. So Yeah, yeah. So, um, I was going to ask, I guess, Precinct 1 is sort of where you're from, where you grew up. It's Is it nice? Is it any different sort of being back? You feel like you're maybe sort of serving your hometown more now or, you know, obviously you have always done that with your 16 years just because you've served the whole county. But I think it's cool. I think I speak for everybody like, and I I know I've said this multiple times, but like everybody in Iowa, like we really enjoy you like as a person and what you do. And um, I appreciate that. I think it, it's nice to know that you do want to run for that position because I mean, I, you have my vote hands down. <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah. you know, just because you are like a hometown guy and we all do. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the thing is, is obviously I, I grew up around here. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that, that kids find themselves doing that I look back and I'm like, I, I was doing the same, if not worse than what they are. Yeah. So, you probably caught me a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So man, I, you know, I, I tend to have a lot more empathy in that. And you know, it's, I, I didn't make the best decisions. Um, you know, when I was in high school and growing up and there was a lot of things that I did that I shouldn't have done. Um, but to be honest with you, if I could go back, I, I wouldn't change any of it. Yeah. You know, cause yeah. I, get you to where you are today i mean now you yeah and i and i really think that helps me to connect with people more on a personal level too yeah um because you know i'm i'm not the guy that's going to be out here just writing tickets just to write tickets yeah. you know it's if you deserve a ticket i'm going to give you a ticket but i'm not that guy that's just you know every single situation that arises you know i'm just gonna throw the book at you and send you on about your way um, because like I said, there's a lot of situations where I've done exactly what those people are doing and I'm, I'm no better than what they are. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like what, what kind of sense does it make for me to enforce certain rules that I myself have broken in the past? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of one of those things, you know, one of my, one of my favorite things to do on, you know, when I'm doing traffic enforcement and such is, you know, whenever I'm stopping kids that are going faster than what they should be or um you know I'll, I'll write them a ticket on the side of the road but i always ask for mom or dad's cell phone number yeah because you and i both know at that age by far the worst thing that could happen to us is for somebody to pick up that phone and, and call, call we call mom and dad yeah <laughs> it's the worst it's, so you know and i a, a lot of times i you know i'll i'll send them away from the the traffic stop like they've got a citation uh-huh. but i call mom or dad i'm like hey i'm, I'm not going to turn this in yeah but i just you know I, I want you to be the one to take care of the situation for me yeah 
They're probably yeah. very thankful for that, too. <laughs> yeah, the, the, well, the parents are. Yeah. yeah. Not, not so much the not kids. Not the kids. They wish you'd yeah. gave them a ticket. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, let me go mow some yards or something. Yeah, Just let take me care pay of this. for this before Dad finds out. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I had a situation like that when I was 16. Um, me and another buddy of mine, we, we went to uh, Wednesday night service at all the missionary church. And, you know, we got out and we were, I was living down here in Keith at the time. and um, God's country. Amen. <laughs> And, uh, but I was coming home and, you know, I'd pass my buddy and then he would pass me and just being stupid, yeah. you know, and well, uh, I got pulled over at 16 years old for doing 89 and a 65. Yeah. And, um, uh, that, that particular deputy that stopped me, um, you know, he pulled me out of the car and rather than writing me the ticket, he, he made me call my grandmother. And it was one of those situations where I, I was begging him just to write me the ticket, yeah. you know, cause I, I could have found a way to come up with the money to pay the citation without grandma ever knowing. Yeah. And, um, uh, but he wouldn't allow it, you know, and, but that's always stuck with me, you know, yeah. as one of those things where, um, you know, that had a lot more effect on me as a 16 year old child than what the citation would have. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, so I, I try to carry that along in, in what I do on a daily. So, and, uh, you know, like I said, a, a lot of the stuff that I did growing up, it's, kind of those old school stories that you hear from your parents where it's like, Hey, um, you know, I've caught you doing this, but get in the car, I'm going to drive you home type mm, deal. Yeah. You know, I, I can still respect a lot of that and, uh, I've done it and it's, I, I just feel like as a peace officer and, you know, even though somebody has messed up just the being able to show a little bit of empathy and, and show that, Hey, you know, I've, I've been in these situations before. Um, that goes a lot further with people than for me to just take whatever action I can and just yeah. send them on about their way, you know? So it's, it's especially like in today, you know, without getting too political, but like in today's day and age with how everybody, I'm sure it's not the same way where we're from because we are from a small town, but you know, people have their, misconceptions and their views on what they think law enforcement officers are and yeah. you know they're y'all aren't all bad you know there's not there's a yeah. majority of them who are good and actually there to help you out oh absolutely compared to the ones that are just absolutely man and i you know i've worked alongside some really great guys um and you know that there's if there's one thing that irks me in law <clears throat> enforcement it's for an individual that wears a badge that does something that they know they shouldn't be doing mm -hmm. and, or to take their authority a little bit too far because when, you know, like we spoke about earlier, it just, it reflects on all of us as a yeah. profession, you know, and it, I feel like we're a, a little more scrutinized than most. Um, but you know, that being said, it's the majority of the guys they put on a badge and gun and come out to serve their communities or in it for the right reason. Yeah. They're actually doing it because they care about the community and they're here to help. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't agree with that anymore. Yeah. Those are the good ones. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. Well, we I, thank y'all for everything I'll do for sure. I mean, it would be a crazy world without people like you. So. Yeah. Yeah. I wish you could explain that to some politicians in dc but, yeah you know. <laughs> well if this thing ever gets big enough i'll get yeah. a piece of my mind it doesn't scare me at all <laughs> that's what i'm talking about yes sir i'm not scared to say what i like <laughs> yeah no i agree with you man and you know it's I've, I've got to be a part of some really cool things being in law enforcement in this county um you know i've 
obviously, you know, on the, the criminal side of a lot of what I've done, I, you know, I can't really speak on a lot of it because a lot of it's still being prosecuted. Or, yeah, I was going to um, ask you, I was like, can you tell us any cool stories? Yeah. But <laughs> now I, I do have uh, probably, man, I'd say is the highlight of my career as something that I can uh, discuss. And I mean, I, I'll tell the story now if you want me to. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So um, this was it was October the 6th. 2021 it was probably 1 32 o'clock in the afternoon um i had came back into investigations and i sat at my computer and i remember looking at the call screen and i see that a couple of our patrol deputies are uh, headed to a subdivision between plantersville and todd mission uh, in reference to a missing person so i pulled up the call i get the details and such and you know, the details say that there's a three-year-old child that has wandered away from his house and, uh, you know, has been missing uh, for about 30 minutes at that time. Mm-hmm. So I told my guys, I'm like, hey, you know, y'all get y'all stuff. Let's just start heading that way just in case. Which, you know, being in investigations, a lot of times we didn't have radios back there. So we didn't know really what patrol was dealing with. Um, but I, I really feel like that was God's doing in making sure that the proper resources knew what was going on. Um, so we started heading that way. And I tell you, it, the, the information that we had at the time was that a uh, three-year-old little boy had followed his dogs and his dog into the woods and the dog returned home, but he didn't. So I leave Anderson and, uh, you know, we're, we're moving pretty good trying to get down there. And uh, I get a hold of, Mitchell Kroll, who's another awesome guy in episode, works for TDC, and I said, hey, man, you know, we've we've got a missing three-year-old in the subdivision down here. I'm just, he works, uh, he's one of the dog handlers mm-hmm. with the prison system. And I said, you know, I just wondered if I can get you guys on standby with a scent-specific dog in the event that we need him when we get down there. And, you know, Mitchell Kroll being Mitchell Kroll, he said, man, we're on our way. We're not yeah. going to be on standby. We're coming. So we get down in the subdivision, and... Uh, there was one way in, one way out of this particular subdivision off 1774. So we kind of flood the subdivision with units. Everybody's out, you know, kind of looking around. We're not finding this kid. Um, you know, we had six specific dogs on the ground within an hour and a half of receiving the call. Well, it had grown to the point where I requested basically any and all resources that were available to come and help. Yeah, I think everybody was lucky. Man, I tell you. <laughs> It, uh, it was very overwhelming at the time because mm-hmm. all the resources that I requested showed up at one time. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, we had volunteer fire departments and we had, you know, guys from the Navasota Police Department that, that left their duty stations to come and help. And we had everybody from the sheriff's office from the top to the bottom. I mean, yeah. everybody's on scene in this subdivision. And uh, like I said, it was, it was really overwhelming in the beginning because it... You know, I was, basically, I was in charge of the search efforts, and when they look at you and they're like, hey, what do you want me to do? But you're getting that question from 50 different people at one time. Yeah. It's like, hey, guys, let me let me kind of catch my basis here before we continue. But, man, we, uh, that, that first day, you know, we split everybody up. We sent law enforcement door to door. We sent all of our volunteers and the fire departments and stuff to start searching the wooded areas and, um, the, uh, we had a, a command station, a bus 
that was dispatched to that area after a couple hours because we weren't having any luck in, in locating the kid. And we had dive teams from the Montgomery County Constable's Office over Precinct 1, their late division, that were coming because we had multiple ponds we needed to search just to make sure he didn't fall in a pond. And it, uh, it was very, very hectic probably that first six or seven hours of that search because you're just trying to get all of your resources together and, and you know, moving toward the same goal. So I'll never forget where uh, we had some FBI agents that showed up out of, out of the Bryan office and, you know, my chain of command and uh, the, the FBI guys and there was a few other of us, others of us uh, kind of standing in a circle this is well after midnight, you know, we're, we're more than 10 hours since this child has gone missing. And we're discussing, you know, it was the area around this house was so densely wooded and it was, it was difficult to see. It was difficult to navigate through. And, you know, they, they, uh, asked me at that time if they could go ahead and suspend the search for the night and come back in the morning so that it could be more effective. And, uh, you know, at the time my son was four Yeah. and, you know, I just, I put him in that situation and I, man, I threw a wall-eyed fit. Yeah. If there was your kid me. out there that you were looking for, would you stop and That's absolutely right. And I, man, I threw a fit and I said, absolutely not. You know, we're not calling off any of our guys. We're going to continue to search. And it, uh, it was to the point where, because it was so densely wooded and stuff, it was, they didn't know if. And it wasn't that they were calling off the search being like, hey, we're not going to find this child. It was like, yeah. really, how effective can we be being yeah. that we can't Is see it? really him worth it. And we don't know exactly what we're pushing through and stuff. But, um, and, you know, the, the, the true heroes of that entire situation were the guys that were actually out there pushing through brush. Yeah. You know, we, um, they, they responded to the scene immediately. Uh, you know, and a lot of my guys that were in investigations were wearing dress clothes. You know, as we wore yeah. slacks and cowboy boots and long sleeve button ups with a hat to work every day. And, you know, these guys have been on scene since two o'clock and here we are pushing two or three o'clock in the morning, 12 hours later, and they're still out there, you know, beating yeah. the bushes. And, and, uh, so we pushed through that first night and I mean, we had air support, we had drones, we had tracking dogs, um, you know, any resource that you could imagine we had on scene. Well, uh, the following morning, we basically agreed to brief the following morning to kind of get everybody on the same page, the areas that we're searching, to kind of organize everything a little better than what we were the day before. Um, so once again, we had basically teams of law enforcement that started at the north end of that subdivision, worked all the way to the south end of that subdivision, going house to house, door to door, knocking on the doors, searching houses. You know, at, early on in a situation like that, when it's when we're we're doing a rescue operation looking for a child, it's exigent circumstances. So, you know, and not that we caught any flack out of anybody that lived in that subdivision. Yeah. Uh, everybody was a hundred percent cooperative in everything we wanted to do. But you know, it was one of those situations where you're not going to tell us no, we can't come to your house. Like we're we're coming yeah. to look. You know, we're, <laughs> we're going to look around. We're going to make sure nobody in this subdivision has this child. And um, so we pushed through all day that second day. Um, I mean. You know, we, we would have to explain to search teams that, you know, they could only get about arm's length apart and make as, as far a line as they could to push through this dense air because it was mm. so 
the underbrush was just so thick in there yeah. that, you know, if you got too far apart, there's a potential you could have walked right over yeah, it. Yeah, you could have missed it. And uh, so we we had everything mapped out at this point. Uh, we had, you know, Montgomery County Fire folks that came in that kind of helped us man the, uh, the command station because, uh, you know, this was one of the largest search efforts that had taken place in a very long time and specifically in this area. I don't know anything that was even close to this magnitude. Yeah. So... You know, we had the big maps in the command station and we had all the aerial views and, you know, we're, we're sending teams to locations and, well, that was, uh, and then that second day, you know, one of the coolest things that happened that day is we had a, um, there was a construction crew. It was about, there was probably 15 Hispanic guys. None of them could speak English. They couldn't communicate with us. I mean, luckily we had officers on scene that was able to mm-hmm. kind of explain the mission, but they, uh. They showed up and they said, hey, you know, we, we asked our boss man if we could have off today to come and help search for this kid. Oh, wow. And uh, so, you know, that was that big of a team gave us a completely different element for certain sections, for our bigger sections, because they could cover so much yeah. ground. And, man, I'm going to tell you something. You tell a Hispanic guy that we want you to start at point A and work to point B and make sure that you don't get offline. Dude, you could drive to the end of the road where they started, and you could see <laughs> the individual lanes that they cut where through. They walk. And that was it. Was some of the most impressive stuff, man. Because you know, you got you got no fault of the volunteers, but you'd have volunteers out there that would get tired of having to push through heavy brush and stuff, and they'd go around and take the short way. Yeah. Well, when you do that, you can't effectively say that that area has been searched a hundred percent because yeah. you, know, you got some guys that are cutting corners and. Man, this crew was spot on with everything they did. And that was that was one of the coolest things of the whole deal because they didn't have to show up. Yeah, they weren't anybody. I mean, they were just a road crew or construction crew that Absolutely. saw it going on and wanted to be yep. helpful. And they were. And uh, so that second night, I'm wanting to say it was the second night. You know, I was I'm still in my dress clothes from whenever we first got the initial call. So you've been out there for yeah, I didn't, how long at this point? Oh man, probably. 36 hours ish I'd say and what and even when I left the command station I uh I called my wife and I said hey you know I need my 511s I need a t-shirt and you know I need to switch out my gear because basically you know I I wanted to change into something a little more comfortable so I I drove home that night and uh I changed out of my dress clothes took a shower got in my regular clothes and I went right back to the command station and uh you know, there were times, um, you know, Constable Blake Jarvis, uh, who was a previous captain over investigation, so he had many years of experience, and he came to me, and uh, him and I discussed everything, and he said, hey, man, you know, you head up the search stuff, I'll take care of the criminal investigation, give me this team, and we'll start investigating what happened from start to finish while you focus on the search efforts, which helped me tremendously, because, yeah. you know, I, I couldn't, it was one or the other, basically. So, you know, him and his guys hit the ground running. And, I mean, they took FBI agents. They took investigators. I mean, we had guys from the Waller County Sheriff's Office, you know, Tomball Police Department, the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office. I mean, guys from all over that just showed up. It was like, hey, where can you use me? You yeah. know, so which was really cool because, you know, there's you only have so many law enforcement resources in a county this size to be mm-hmm. able to utilize or something like that. And so that really kind of added to it. Well, um. The, the morning of the third day, 
we're so my my wife had bought that was when Alabama played Texas A and M here in College Station. Yeah, it was the walk off field goal, whatever. <laughs> um, I'm not an Aggie fan. It's all right. Yeah. So, but my my wife had bought us tickets. We we were on the 50 yard line right behind Alabama's bench, you know, and it. Uh, I was really excited to go to this ball game, but the third day of the search was the day the game was scheduled to be, and so my wife was, you know. <clears throat> posting different places, basically trying to sell these tickets so that we could recoup some of that money back, yeah. you know, and, and, um, I'll never forget, man. I, uh, I walked into the command station that day and, uh, one of the girls that was in there dispatching for us, she said, Hey, um, we got a call from an individual that says that he thinks he may have heard a child cry in the wooded area where he's walking, but he's not sure. And, well, the guy was able to provide a pen. He basically sent a pen in to our dispatch. And so I looked at the pen and, uh, you know, Pivo, uh, yeah. you know, Pivo's out there and I called Pivo. I said, Hey man, you know, bring your side by side of the command station. I said, well, you know, we need to go check out this deal. And so we had to go on the highway. We went 1774 down to 249 all the way down to 1486 in Montgomery County. And we come up, you know, basically just trying to get to the pen where this guy was. Uh, we had to get through four locked gates to access the area where he was. And uh, we get down on this pipeline, and the man's name was Tim. And he said, hey, uh, he said, I was in Bible study last night, talking about it was a Friday night Bible study. He said, and some of the group members there were discussing the fact that this child was missing. He said, I had no idea. So I, I pulled everything up on the news. I saw the subdivision he was missing in. He said, and I noticed that, you know, this pipeline right away, it runs right behind that subdivision, which was the pipeline we were on at the time. He said, it, it runs right behind my house. He said, you know, God put it on my heart to come out here and uh, and just walk and just, you know, see what I could see or hear what I could hear or whatever. And he said, you know, I, I think I may have heard a child cry back here. He said, but I called out and, I, you know, I'm not hearing anything. He said, it could have been an animal. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the area he was talking about was probably another 150 yards or so back because he continued walking and continued searching. So we go back to the area uh, kind of where he thought he had heard the, the outcry. And uh, me and Pivo and another officer that was with us, you know, we start calling out this kid's name. Well, Tim didn't even know the kid's name. So mm -hmm. he uh, we had saw Tim turn around. He was walking back down the pipeline back toward 1486, which was the area we came in. And, uh, you know, we're searching this area. We're calling out. We're not hearing anything. Well, it was maybe 15, 20 minutes or so past. And I could hear Tim further down the pipeline yelling out. So we run back to the side-by-side, -side and we, we get out to the, the High Line right away, and we start heading toward him. Well, I thought the way I had seen him, like he was just standing there kind of looking at something. I'm like, all right, you know, maybe he's found some clothing or, you know, a shoe or, or something that's going to give us some sort of lead here. And, well, this Highline right away was kind of hilly, so every once in a while we'd lose sight of him. And, man, I'll never forget the feeling. Um, we were headed back toward him, and we topped a little hill, and he turned toward us, and he had that baby on his hip. Man. Oh, dude, I lost it, man. I just got chills. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I completely lost it. You know, it had been almost 72 hours from the time that kid went missing. And uh, so we get up there and 
Tim hands me this child, and you know, you could tell obviously he was he was skin and bones. He uh, I hear you. You got me tearing up. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. No, you're good. You got me like that too. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, man, I I remember grabbing Tim. I didn't even know this guy. Mm-hmm. I grab him, and uh, man, I'm hugging him and thanking him, and well, we get it arranged to where the ambulance that we had on site stage for everything. You know, we we get them around on a fourteen eighty six, and it uh, you know, I had some water and some Gatorade with me, and I couldn't communicate with him because yeah. he he was Spanish speaking only, so you know, we couldn't really talk. But it uh, you know, we get to the roadway, and I'm bawling my eyes out. You know, it had been the longest three days of my entire career, and uh, the medics come. You know, they snatch him up. Mom comes and, you know, they get him over to Texas Children's. And then, you know, so from that point, you know, we're just getting updates. Hey, he's going to be fine. You know, he's, uh, he was severely dehydrated, obviously. It cuts all over his body and stuff. And, um, you know, it's just the, the thought process behind it is, you know, you've got, here it is, a three-year-old child who spent two nights in the woods alone by himself with no idea where he was, yeah, where he what, is, yeah, what man. To do. And you know, as as unfortunate as it may sound, there were so many volunteers, um, other police officers at the time on that third morning that basically said, "Man, there's no way this kid's still alive." You know, yeah. there's our efforts are for nothing. Um, and so, just that, man, it, that feeling of of being successful and finding that child was just completely overwhelming. And, uh, you know, the fact that in, in talking to Tim that, you know, God put it on his heart to go out there that Saturday morning and just walk that high line. And I'm going to tell you something, man. We So we were basing the search radius around FBI statistics on how far a child could actually move on mm-hmm. foot. And this child was almost five miles away. Jeez. He was more than a mile outside of our search parameters. There's no way we would have ever found him. Yeah, he just got lost and started walking. And it was a, it was a basically a pipeline right away. So it was yeah. a, really the only clearing that was out there without him having to push through brush. And so it uh, which you know there were a lot of cross fences and gates, and you know it it kind of limited the people that were on foot or ATVs from getting yeah. to where he was. But even then, you know we, it, it's not like we had planned to send anybody that far out because. You know, based on statistics, a kid's not supposed to be able to make it that far yeah. in in the terrain that we were in, you know. But, uh, yeah, you, I mean, so that's, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Uh, that, that's a miracle if I've ever heard one. You know, that uh, Tim, you know, for, for having the confidence to get up that morning and to say, hey, God put this on my heart and to answer that calling. Yeah was just, it was amazing, man. You know, the, the FBI went back and they, they did several interviews with him afterwards. And he, uh, you know, they said he was the most godly Christian man they'd ever talked to. And, you know, we, we still caught a lot of flack from the public, you know. Yeah. A lot of people don't, they don't know all the same details or the things that we do as far as what went in. We knew yeah. there was one way, one, one way in and one way out of this subdivision. And, yeah. you know, we had already eliminated the potential for a kidnapping uh, within the first day of searching. Um, yeah. We were fortunate enough to have good surveillance 
footage uh, at that particular exit. So it, uh, but you know, you, it, it was so hard to get on social media and, and see people saying stuff that they're saying. And, yeah, and, and completely second guessing everything that we were doing. And, you know, that, oh, there's no way that that kid walked there. You know, he was kidnapped and then brought back and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And now, of course, you know, there's a lot of details surrounding the child's condition that, you know, were never released. And, you know, they never will be, but they don't have to be because yeah. we know as the investigating agency, you know, exactly what took place. But that, um, that that whole situation there has been, and I'll probably never be able to top that in my entire law enforcement career, man. It was it was amazing. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, you know, like a good story that you know started off terribly and then actually ended up working out. And so, yeah, very much so. I've I mean, never heard, you know, obviously being from the area, I, when you started telling the story, I knew what you were talking about. Right. But me being part of the general public, like you said, we only hear. Right. What's released on social media or things like that. People speculate and things like that. But hearing you tell, you know, the story of Tim and how he decided to go look for him, for for the kid and things like that. Yeah, that's pretty, that's a, man, that's a pretty powerful story. It it was pretty, it was amazing, man. And, you know, there was, there, like I said, the, the folks that were out there, you know, beating feet and pushing through those all that brush and stuff. They're they're the ones that truly deserve all the recognition um, for their efforts they put in that seventy two hours. You know, it's it's hard to ask somebody that is literally pushed through the night and doing this to show back up the following morning and do it again. And, and do it there's all over. So many people that just showed up that next day at the same spot they were the day before yep. to do the exact same thing they did the, the, the day prior. For so, a kid, they don't even know that's right. who people are probably telling them that there's no chance you're going to find them. Exactly. And, yeah. we, and we heard a lot of that, especially the morning of day three. And, um, you know, I'm, it, I it. I got a little fired up on a couple of those situations and, and had to remove myself from the areas I was in because I didn't want to partake in that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's so... Christopher was his name. He was three years old, and you know he uh, he got a police officer costume for Halloween that year. And so we, when we did the one year uh, anniversary, which was this past October, um, you know we got to see Christopher again, and he's back to himself and smiling. And he uh, his mom said he wears that police officer costume everywhere he goes now. <laughs> so. It's, uh, it's he pretty, might grow up to be a police officer. I hope so. I tell you what, he's <laughs> one of the toughest kids yeah. alive. I promise you, no doubt about that. Yeah. Surviving those conditions with no food or water. For, I don't think I could make it in the woods for three days. <laughs> yeah. yeah, with nothing to eat or drink or nowhere to lay your head. I mean, no. that kid is tough, man. Yeah, yeah that's crazy. He'll push on to be a Navy SEAL or something. He'll one day. do something good. He I'm has sure. to. I'm sure. Yeah. God, a, God definitely has a purpose for him. He does. That's, yeah, it was not his time. Absolutely, God wasn't done with him yet. So, absolutely, man. Yeah, man, that what an awesome story though. I, I it's a, yeah, you had me tearing up and had yeah. chills running down my back. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it, it's hard. So I, obviously, I don't I don't get to tell that story a whole lot. Um, you know, there's the the people that I'm around on a daily basis all know. Uh, you know what took place so it's yeah. I don't really get to share that a lot so man it's just a flood of emotions thinking about how I felt that day when we topped that hill and I, I saw that child on Tim's hip man it was yeah. just it was an amazing feeling and something I'll probably I, I honestly hope that I never get to feel that way again yeah. you know because that was that was a rough situation but 
it was amazing, man. I knew how the story ended, and I still yeah. teared up at the end. You know, yeah. just you explaining, you know, I just, obviously, I can't imagine what it felt like, but just <laughs> somewhat hearing the story, like you, all your hard work for the past 36, 38 hours, or however long you right. all had all been grinding out there, has right. finally just paid off. It's yeah. come to a head, and yeah. you, you were successful, so. Yeah, and you know, there was... Um, the two nights that I did come home, you know, the first night I came home to shower to go back. And then that following night, um, I came home to shower and, you know, I was, I, I slept in my Tahoe. I took little cat naps here and there, but you know, when you finally get to the point where you separate from everything that's taking place, you're by yourself. And oh, man, I'm, I prayed and prayed and prayed and I, uh, broke down several times. Cause it's like, It, it would have been a different situation had this been an adult that put himself in the situation that he was in. And, yeah. you know, not to say that I wouldn't empathize with that person too, but, you know, for a child to be wandering in the woods at night by himself was just, yeah, man, it was, it was overwhelming. Especially when you have, you know, your son at home who is yeah. almost the same age as him. Exactly. You know? and, yeah. And I couldn't imagine, you know. And, you know, there were several times during the search efforts and stuff that Blake Jarvis and I would just get in the vehicle and leave and go ride around and just discuss it. Like, man, what are we missing? You know, yeah. what, where, where haven't we searched? You know, what, and, you know, we're looking at maps just by ourselves without everybody else's input. And it's like, man, you know, we, we covered everything from A to Z. We've done everything we're supposed to do. Like, so, but that's why it was, it was truly a miracle. And it was, uh, that was God's doing. It 1,000%. Was. Yeah. That's awesome. Yes, that's sir. A, that's a good one. That's a good story. Yeah, <laughs> did, like you, did you get to go to the football game? I did, man. You did get yeah, to go. so uh, you know, after that, we. Um, well, he only God only we, did you one favor. That <laughs> yeah, he did. Man. I, was, I was, you know, it after we had, you know, once we found him that morning, got everything reunited. You know, it was all these press interviews and all this stuff, and um, you know, we're one of the, the highway patrolmen that worked here in the area at the time, his name was Dylan Duke. Uh, Dylan called my wife that morning when we found the kid. He said, you take those tickets down from wherever you've got them posted. Yeah. Cause y'all are going to the game, you know, like he, they, they found the kid. So I, uh, by the time everything got wrapped up from wrapping up the command center and everything, I had enough time to get home. Uh, I had to change out of my work clothes into my Bama gear on yeah. the way to college station. <laughs> and, uh, and even the ball game, man, that was that was a cool experience yeah, too. That's you know? a wild game, man. Dude, I've never seen a, a you know any sporting event where they've stormed the field like that. So no. I, I I kick myself now because I I should have stormed the field too. You, you should have like, just gone out yeah, there, Bama fan or not. I should have went too. You know, I, I don't yeah. think I'll ever get to experience. That was one like of those games like you know where you were when you were watching it. Yes, you know, like I know I was at the Mallets Camp House, and yeah. we were all sitting around the TV. Absolutely. Watching the game, and you know, you go into that game, you're like, "Oh, Alabama's about to smack A and M." Yeah. And then they just keep hanging around, keep hanging around, and then finally, that last yeah. minute field goal was just. We were all. I was like looking around. They're all Aggies, so they were going crazy, oh, yeah. and I was yeah. just like, "Man, this is wild." Well, and you know, there were several points throughout the game where, um, you know, Alabama will start putting together a drive, and I'm like, "All right, here's the turning point. Yeah, like, here we go." You know, and there's a there was only a couple Bama fans around me, which. You know, I'm I'm from Bryan College Station, but the, the folks that were at the game around us didn't know that. Yeah. And I tell you, I've never been treated with more hospitality 
than what I was at the yeah. Texas A&M football game. And the fans around us were just awesome. And, uh, you know, they kind of razzed me a little bit at the end of it whenever they won. <laughs> but it was there was nothing malicious about it. Even after the game, we're walking around the stadium and stuff. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm from here. So, you know, I knew kind of what to expect. But there was no uh, – the, the, the fans there at Texas A&M were just fantastic, man. We didn't – we didn't have to deal with any of the uh, the razzing and uh, the smack talk, you know. Yeah. It was it was a pretty cool experience. It was all good, clean fun, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Talking about football a little bit, we'll talk about, um, and if you get tired of talking, you just say the word, but I wanted to talk a little bit about Iola football. You yeah. know, y'all had a very successful team in high school, and, I had a pretty successful team when I was in high school, so right. I wanted to, you know, tell a little bit about what it was like playing for Coach McDougal and all, all your your good <laughs> yeah. old days, I guess. Oh, absolutely, man. I, you know, I, I not to interrupt you, but I I really liked that season because I was actually y'all's water boy and a little yeah, I remember. boy or whatever. I so remember. I, I tried remember. to be around the team as much as I could. And oh, that, that was a fun experience. Absolutely, so. man. You know, I I. Uh, just speaking on, on my experience with Iola football, you know, when I I moved to Iola my freshman year, and uh, I'll never forget, man, I'm the the first day. I was, I've always been, you know, a pretty big guy, and uh, I can remember being in the weight room one of the very first times I ever came to work out in Iola, and uh, I was working out with Trevor Williams, and he put a plate, one plate on each side for bench, right? So bench of 135. And we racked it, and that sucker fell on my chest, and I couldn't <laughs> budge it. And, I, man, I'm a freshman in high school at this point, you know. Yeah. But that was, you know, Coach Roddy was real big on getting in the weight room and working out. And, uh, you know, obviously. Three sets of ten every day. Every day, yes, sir. <laughs> and uh, so the coolest thing about that is by the time – so we had summer workouts, and uh, I didn't miss a single summer workout between my freshman and sophomore season. And at the end of that summer, which I moved here in, in April of my freshman year, mm-hmm. so you're talking maybe six months, um, I got my name put up on the 230 club and a deal on bench. So it was like immediate turnaround, Like, which, you know, in all honesty, working out and playing for him, uh, you really didn't have a choice. No. You know, <laughs> it was uh, it was, it was was pretty rough, man. I, I, I love him to death, you know, Coach Rowdy and, and – uh, and Coach McDougal, you know, they – I still get to talk to them every once in a while. Um, whenever I, I see them, I just call them coach. I'm just yeah. Coach McDougal. But uh, we see them at – you know, I work all the high school football games and stuff here. and I, I do the security for the school up there. So I get to see them every once in a while. And uh, it's kind of cool to just kind of sit and reminisce because uh, he's he's like a living dictionary, man, or um, – uh, I don't know, historian. He does not forget statistics. Yeah. So Randy was the head coach, right? When Randy, in high school. Yes. Yeah. He's crazy. I <laughs> I just know him, you know, being from Iowa, and my brother's a little closer to your age, so he was, in, I guess, junior high when you were in high school and things like that. So, But, yeah, he can rattle off some high school sports Man, I, and stuff to you. It's crazy. It's Yeah, it's just crazy how he can remember back. 30 years ago and remember what kind of season a particular kid yeah. had. You know? Scores the games. and It's impressive. I've played football my whole life, and I couldn't tell you the score to my last football game. No, before. yeah. And my, that was six years ago. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, 
Randy was a coach at Iowa for a long time. You know, back in the nineties when they were right. Iowa football was pretty good for a long time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah they they had some squads back in the day. Yeah. Man, I've I've got the I've had the opportunity to watch some of the highlight tapes from it's like ninety four, I think ninety five, and their ninety eight football team and them guys were studs. Yeah, you know what. Uh, Coach Roddy had a lot of their their highlight tapes on VHS still, and you know he'd pop them in every once in a while after a film session and just let us watch. And man, those the teams that they had, some of those teams they had back in the nineties, those guys were awesome. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, y'all weren't no, y'all weren't <laughs> y'all weren't a joke either. That uh, that 06 team that you played on, y'all were. What'd y'all lose in the semifinals? I think it was. Yeah, we uh, we lost in state semifinals to Alto. Alto, up in Corsicana. Yeah. Which was it was kind of a, a screwy deal. You know. I felt like I lost that game. I remember Man, I was, was crying on the sidelines and Lane was yeah. hugging me and yeah. was, it's gonna be all right. Preston, yeah. all those guys, they yeah. treated me like y'all you know, y'all all took good care of me yeah. when I was a little kid. So I'll tell you what, you know, Alto was uh, you know, when I was in high school we were still a one A program and Alto had dropped down from two A in a one A that particular year and you know, they did all the rezoning and so yeah, when we faced Alto, which we, we lost to Chilton that year, too. Chilton was in our district. Um, but that was the – I'm wanting to say that was the first year they split it to where you had the – you had, like, 1A, the larger division. Yeah, and Division 1A. one, Division 2. Right. Yeah, so the two teams that, that we lost to that particular year both went on to win state championships, <laughs> Division 1 and Division 2. You know, Chilton beat us, I think it was 19-8. And uh, – but going back to Alto – the craziest thing, man, was, you know, they had a, uh, their quarterback and running back were absolute studs. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were fast. They played defensive tackle on the <laughs> defensive side of the ball. Dude, we, I'm, I'm telling you, so Clint Morris was our center. He would hike the ball, and them guys were in the backfield well, before we could even get out of our stance, man. Yeah. I mean, they were so fast. Who was the quarterback when you were a senior? Uh, Pat Zaragoza Sanchez. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't was. remember. And you were – Y'all had Casey and Rex and Arthur yep. and Thomas and all those guys. Yep. Huh? Yep. Yeah. So, actually, so our offensive line my junior year was bigger than what it was my senior year. Really? Uh, my junior year, uh, Arthur started at left tackle. That dude was an absolute stud yeah. on both sides of the ball. But Arthur was a left tackle. Cody Rose was a left guard. That's right. Clayton Evans was a center. Russell Ellis was a right guard. And I played right tackle. Dude, I'm telling you that. I think we averaged like almost 300 pounds. I think that's how we were my senior year. We in had, 1A football? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's some impressive stuff. We man. had me, Reed, yeah. uh, Will Mallett, yeah. uh, Dawson Utz, and you know, Harley Stabler. Yeah. 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 That's some big kids, man. Yeah, we were pretty good ones. It was, yeah. It was fun times. Being, I touched on it with Jamie, you know, unfortunately, he didn't have the success in high school, you know. Right. Uh but when you got a good football team in Iola and you're part of it, it's a it's it's a fun ride, a, man. It's a fun time to be a part of. Yeah, and you know the it's it's crazy for me. Like um, you know, after we graduated and stuff, and like I remember going, I, I, y'all lost to Tennehall, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, we, I, were, I, we we drove to that game. I, I remember I went and watched, and yeah, man, that was. I think that was the quarterfinals, I believe it yeah. was. Yeah, but see, 
like y'all y'all had the size, but it's it's crazy to me now going to work these these ball games and stuff, and I'm looking and there's no size whatsoever. Yeah, there might not the be a 300 pounder out there. Yeah, you know? I, I mean it's just it's crazy to me. Like you know, you think about the guys that like I that I graduated with between Arthur and Thomas and Clint and you know myself and Rex and you know you had Lane and yeah, you know they're guys that were yeah y'all were all big. I mean it was everybody yeah. And it, you just, I don't know, you don't really see that too much. Even my grade, I mean, we were, it's sore. I mean, obviously, we weren't as big as y'all, but, like, you had me, Will, Reed, Dawson, Hayden, Ryan Rennick, you know, all those guys. And Ryan went to play for A&M and Kansas and all that other jazz. And yeah. So, but, yeah, just the size, and I, that's with any team, though. I don't even think that's just with Iowa. No, I, and that's what I'm that. saying. Like, on both sides of the ball, it's like you yeah. you hardly ever see any, you know, any of the kids that are pushing 300 pounds anymore. And yeah. It, um, but, you know, when – I'm wanting to say when I was in high school, I was probably 230-ish. Um, and I know my junior year, I was the smallest guy on the line. Yeah. I mean, we had – two of them guys that were pushing 300 easily. So yeah. it's uh, it's crazy to look back and, you know, what we look like in high school versus what you're seeing now. I just – It's crazy. I don't – I think I uh, I blame that on all the health and nutrition nuts that <laughs> took the snack bars <laughs> and, the, and the vending machines out of the cafeterias, you know. <laughs> that could be it. That could be it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, in, in Alto in particular, I'll never forget a play. We were down on the goal line and – um. We had a play set up where uh, I'm going to say it was Preston Colley. Whenever he would pull from his left guard position, and he would pull out to the left, and Pat would just turn and pitch it to Casey, and you know it was yeah. almost automatic two point play every time we ran it. And I guess Alto had watched enough film to know what that that particular that set kinda... looked like, dude. That guy shot through the gap and caught Pat's pitch oh. to Casey and took it to the house. Man. Like, nobody touched it, man. It was insane. <laughs> and, like, I'll never forget, like, looking up and, like, trying to chase the guy. And then it, like, I see him, I'm like, oh, I can't do that. No point. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a 30-yard head. Yeah, he's, he's a lot faster yeah, than that. guy's way gone. But, you know, what? I think uh, I think we put up 25 on Alto. And, you know, Rex got hurt. Yeah. Rex, Rex was obviously a big, big part of Iola's success in those days, and Rex got hurt. But we, I think we put up 25 points against Alto. And when you go and when you actually look at their schedule, and they zeroed out so many opponents, and they're, as far as what their defense allowed on points scored, you could add them all up, and it was like maybe 13 points the entire season. Wow. We put 25 up on them, and then they went and played like, a team from West Texas in the state championship being like 55 to nothing yeah. in the state championship. Well, it's probably safe to say whoever won that game was probably going to win the state. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was. That's sort of how everybody was saying it was with us. <laughs> Obviously, Bream. Okay. All right, we are actually back now. Sorry about that. We had some technical difficulties and some scares, if you would. We thought we had lost everything we had been talking about for the last hour and a half. <laughs> but luckily, we saved it. So, like we were saying, James and them lost to Alto in the state semifinals, and we had both agreed that probably it was the consensus of everybody who watched high school football that year. Whoever was going to win that game was probably going to win state, and ultimately that's what ended up happening. So, 
Yeah, Alto put a beating on that. I don't even remember who it was they played, but they, they beat them pretty good. Yeah, that's like the same thing I was going to go on and say how it was with us. You know, it was either going to be us or Tenahaw had to beat Bremond, yep. and whoever did that was going to win state. Right. And that's exactly how it worked out. We lost to Tenahaw, Bremond beat Tenahaw, yep. and then just absolutely whacked. I think it was Albany or something. Like, yeah. a, once again, one of those West Texas teams yep. that – Really just, I mean, Probably had no they go undefeated all season and through the playoffs mm-hmm. up there, but when they come down and play some sort of <laughs> Southeast Texas guys, that's it's just not the right. same not yeah. the same caliber of ball. So, yeah. that's uh, yeah, that was rough. I don't, I can't tell you, like I said, I can't tell you the score to my last football game. I definitely can't tell you the score of the Tenahaw game, but I have one vivid memory of the Tenahaw game, and it was right at halftime. We walk in, and the announcer goes, uh, and we're headed into halftime. Tenahaw's up twenty-seven to three, and I thought he said forty-seven to three. <laughs> and I just turn around and look at the because I never like when I was playing my, all the times I was playing. I never like paid attention to the yeah. scoreboard. I just went out there and tried to do my job every time. Right. And I was walking off, and I turn around. I was like, "There's no damn way that yeah. we're getting beat that bad." And luckily, we weren't. <laughs> but <laughs> I think we ended up making it a pretty close game, and it came down to like a. Like a fourth down or something, or uh, on the three yard line, fourth yep. and goal that we didn't convert or yep. something like yep. that. But I recall, man, it was it was a good ball game. Yeah, it was. It yep. was a fun ride, but yeah, my man. wife and I drove up to watch y'all play that one. That was that was good, a good game, and you know, man, I really don't know that there's been anything at least fairly close since. You know, not that deep in the playoffs, or not yeah. not like a not a team that you know sort of had the promise. I think. When Jamie came back and was first coaching at Iola after I graduated, I think they went like three rounds deep. Uh, yeah. Ryan Rennick's senior year, okay, or something okay. like that. But nothing really, you know, not since then at least I know for sure. So right, yeah. Hopefully they can get it get it going again. You know, yeah. they got a good good young class of that's kids coming hearing. up. So yeah, that, that's what I'm hearing. I um, you know, I try to follow pretty closely, and baseball is my favorite sport. Yeah. Um and I've heard they've they've got some good young talent that's coming up, so I'm I'm excited to to see them get back to that. Yeah. For sure. I hope so. Um I guess sort of last thing we'll talk about. Um you're an Astro fan, right? You're a yes, big sir. Astros fan. One thousand percent. Me too. I love the Astros. Yes, Me and sir. Peyton just went to the game last night. Okay. And so that was that was a good time. I had a fun fact, um on these episodes I been trying to find something cool to talk about yeah and just a fun little quirky fact if you would we were doing the seventh inning stretch and Peyton goes I wonder who invented that I was like I don't know google it that's my <laughs> question for everything if I don't know the answer to it right and she looked it up it says the seventh inning stretch was actually invented in 1910 when President William Taft was on a visit to a baseball game and he just stood up and stretched in the seventh inning oh wow so now part of america's pastime is everybody's the seventh wow. inning stretch because one it, guy stood up and stretched i thought that was pretty funny i love it when you go to an astros <laughs> game and you know you get to hear yeah, deep, deep in the in heart, in the heart of heart. texas absolutely buddy that's the best yeah we went to um we didn't get to go to any ball games last year but we just went here a couple weeks ago and um my niece is a real big Kyle Tucker fan. Oh, yeah. And uh, so we sit in right field, um, you know, back there behind Tucker. And it's just it's an enjoyable experience. But I tell you, man, in, uh, it was in 2017 whenever we were playing the Yankees at home. And it was uh, game seven of the ALCS. 
that year, uh, you know, obviously we went on to win the World Series against the Dodgers, but where I'm wanting to say was, it was, yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously that time of year, October baseball, I've, you know, the Texas Renaissance Festival is going on. So I'm working basically Monday through Friday and then Saturday, mm-hmm. Sunday out at the festival. So where I was on my way down there and uh, my brother-in-law, Cody, he calls me and he said, hey, man, um, you know, a client has a couple tickets for us for game seven tonight if you want to go. And uh, I walked in and I talked to my boss, uh, uh, Johnny Martinez was a chief police tied mission at the time. Love that guy too. And uh, I said, man, Johnny, I, I hate to put you on the spot, man, but uh, I got tickets to game seven tonight. He's like, I'm going. He's like, dude, why'd you even walk in here? I'm like, why waste your time? Get out of here. And uh, man, dude, that was one of the coolest experiences of my entire life. So the, the client that gave him the tickets, we went to his house, and this guy actually lived across the street from Verlander and Kate Wow. Upton. And uh, so, you know, we took a party bus to Minute Maid, and his, uh, his season tickets were five rows up behind the Yankees dugout. Oh, man. Dude, Aaron Judge is a man. Huge dude, oh, huh? That dude is huge, man. Man. But, That's uh, a, that'd be a pretty crazy experience. Oh, dude, that and that stadium was just electric. It was that was one of the coolest things I've ever got to experience as far yeah. as, you know, anything related to the Astros. Anything sports-related, period. Man, yeah. it was so cool. That's a It's a fun stadium, too. There's not a bad seat in the house. No, there really ain't. You know, you can see there's there's not a bad seat. I'm excited. Me and Peyton are going back on August the 12th when they're playing the Angels. So oh, nice. Maybe I get to see Shohei, Shohei yeah. play a little bit. Hopefully it doesn't go off. But. Yeah. Well, I, I, man, the trade deadline's not here yet. Yeah. You, you might get to see him yeah. uh, in an Astros uniform. Yeah, well, yeah. well that, that would be nice. Yeah, that'd probably cost us an arm and a leg. I don't see that happening. That would be even better. I'd How like cool to I'd like be? to see him be an Astro. Yeah, man, that – um, you know, we, we've got to go to a couple playoff games. I'm wanting to say it was in 2018. We went to game five when uh, – we got eliminated by the Red Sox, but Verlander was pitching Game Five, and uh, it was uh, me, my wife, my sister-in-law, and Buzz Galvan. You know, we all four went down there, and we uh, our seats were by the Astros bullpen, and we'd got there a little early, and you know, Verlander's throwing in the bullpen, and well, anyways, he, he throws his last warm-up pitch, and Maldi is catching him back there, and he looks at the crowd, you know, and. He's got the ball in his hand. He's looking for a kid, and I'm waving, like, please, <laughs> please. And, dude, he tossed me that ball, so it's got 2018 World oh, Series wow. stamped on it. And it's still got some of the – I've got it on, in a little deal on my desk at the yeah. office. But it's got some of the red dirt from the Astros' bullpen on it. Wow. And, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool, man. That's awesome. We walked down to – there was a little gift shop, and we were looking, and I was going to get a shirt or something, you know, and I think we found the wrong gift shop because this was all, like, <laughs> game-worn memorabilia. Oh, it was expensive. Oh, yeah. They had jerseys that yeah. were, like, $1,500 in yeah. there. And I told Peyton, I was like, yeah, yeah. Like, I'll order a shirt online. <laughs> yeah. That's the yeah. wrong spot for me. Yes, so. sir. <laughs> yeah, Astro games are a blast, though. They're a good, yeah. uh, great atmosphere. Yeah, I just saw where they've uh, they've reinstated Altuve and Jordan off the IL, so they're active for the game tonight. And yep. You know, which is huge. We're a game back on the Rangers, so yeah. hopefully we can, we you can. know. Fromber's on the mound tonight, too. So. He's my favorite. I like Fromber. Fromber's awesome, He man. can deal it up, can Yes, he? sir. Yeah. And, you know, it, it sucks to see his record what it is, you know, at this point in the season because, I mean, he's gone deep into ball games, and, man, his he's got a – I'm wanting to say he's like a 258 ERA this mm-hmm. season. Like, you don't – Yeah. You don't hardly get to see that that much in, in out of a starting pitcher, so – 
France Frombers. France did good. JP France did yeah. good last night. He's sort of new on the scene, right? He hasn't yeah. played many games. He, yeah, they no, just he, uh, brought him up. Yeah, he just he just came up and I'm he old. he pitched pretty deep in the game last night. Yeah, I want to say like went, seventh inning or something like that. Say, seventh or eighth he, inning, maybe. I think he went seven innings with no earned runs. Yeah, uh, like the whatever they scored was was classified as earned runs. So yeah, yeah, he's he's been dealing. And uh, have you ever seen the video of uh, Verlander and Hunter Brown's wind up? Uh. Uh-uh. Like, Play next to each other? No. Oh, they look identical, man. Really? Yeah, so there, there's a lot of hope for Hunter Brown, man, that he's young. you know. But, I mean, the way that they're wind up and their pitch delivery and the way they come off the mound after the pitch is they're almost identical, man. That's well, pretty cool to see. Well, if he can be as good as Verlander, that's, I'm a, telling you. that's a good deal. He's, yeah, be Verlander's pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the uh, I'd, I'd like to be able to go to more ball games, you know, but I want to get my son going with me. Yeah. And uh, he's just too antsy. To sit age. there for the whole time. Yeah, which, I mean, he did really good here a couple of weeks ago when we went. Uh, I will say, though, I, I don't know your thoughts on it, but I am a fan of the pitch clock. I am, too. It makes the games just – it's yeah. more enjoyable now. Yeah. You're not there for ever just right. watching these guys do – I understand everybody has a routine, but, like, right. some of the stuff that they did took so long was just uncalled yeah. for. We'll <laughs> like, see Come on. <laughs> And like in the the beginning of the season when they were discussing the pitch clock, I you know I really wasn't sure how I felt about it because, you know, I didn't know how it was going to affect the starting pitchers. Yeah. Because you know? some of them guys, if if they get to a point where, you know, they're giving up hits or they're giving up earned runs, they they kind of take a, a break and you yeah, know, a little walk around take the a mound, kind of get themselves yeah. back. And well, with this, it kind of rushes it along so much. I'm thinking, you know, maybe these starting pitchers won't be able to go as deep in the ball game as what they have been over there. But it, it hadn't seemed to really affect many because no. I guess they get they got used to it in spring training and yeah. kind of condition themselves to know that it's coming. So it definitely speeds up the the ball game yeah quite a bit. So it's been good. I enjoy watching. Uh, I won't really say b- baseball, but I enjoy watching the Astros. So yeah. if I don't, if I'm not interested in the team, it's hard to get me to watch a game. But yeah. I like watching the uh, College World Series and stuff like that. I do too, That's man. That's exciting stuff. But yeah. I'm yep. not just going to turn on a regular MLB game. But I, me and my wife, she's a bigger Astro fan than I am. But yeah, we watch almost every Astro game. So Yeah, so do we. That's a – I got my wife hooked on it years ago. I want to say it was like 2015, um, you know, when we won the wild card and ended up going into the divisional series. I don't even remember who we were playing, but – you know, I was watching quite a bit, and uh, that following year, might have been 2016, whatever it was, that following year, I got my wife to start watching the ball games with me. Well, the more she learned about the, the particular players, and but she kind of found her favorite players, well, yeah. now she loves to watch the ball games. So yep. it, it worked out great for me. Yeah, I think she, my wife gets it from her grandma. Um, they live in Houston and have season tickets and everything, but – she will, if they're not at the game or at home where they can watch the game, she will record the games and then go home <laughs> and watch the recording and stay up wow. until 3 in the morning, you know. Oh, you dedication. can't ever text in the family group chat about what the game's going on because she hadn't, if she hadn't watched the game yet, she's <laughs> got to get home and watch it on her recording. So. Man, that's dedication <laughs> Yeah, there. she's very dedicated. That's probably where Peyton gets it from. But I like it. Yeah, it's fun. Well, man, this has been an absolute blast. I – like I said, I've known you for a long time. We've talked here and there, you know, families or friends and things like that. It means a lot to me to have you, you know, want to come on and do it. It just happened 
sort of out of the blue, you texted me, said yeah. you listened to the podcast, said you enjoyed it. Yeah. And I was thinking of people to have on, and I thought, well, there's not a better person to have on <laughs> than, than James. He's just a – I mean, you're a great guy. Awesome story you told us today. People are going to love that. You know, yeah. that's a that's a really great story. But yeah. like I said, man, it, it means the world to, to me that, one, you would come on here, and two, absolutely. that you just support my crazy ideas. No, so. absolutely, man. I, I love the idea. You know, I love listening to podcasts anyway. So when I saw it on your Facebook, I'm like, oh, man, I, and, you know, we, we happened to be driving out of town that particular day, so I, I put it on. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, uh, and like I said in the beginning, man, I, I feel like you and I have a lot in common. You know, I, dude, duck hunting is by far my most favorite thing to do. We didn't even touch and on I that. We can, to, we can yeah. do it if you want to. <laughs> I can talk uh, all day about that. Oh, me too, man. I, I love the duck hunt. And uh, y'all even mentioned that y'all like to play 42. And I'm like, man, these guys been <laughs> well we're normally scrounging trying to find somebody who knows how to play for we can play and... some 42 with you we do it till the sun comes up a yeah, lot of times I, man i thoroughly enjoy it wives and... get mad at us yeah <laughs> are you coming yeah. to bed nope i'm yeah. not <laughs> that's how my wife is too she sees us break out the domino table she's like oh god it's like she's... everywhere we go somebody's got dominoes with us oh, absolutely. i mean we just went to mississippi on the golf trip for court's bachelor party yeah and it was just golf all day, come home and play dominoes all night. Oh, that's awesome, that's all man. it was. You know, yeah. we don't go out and get yeah. into trouble. We just that's how I am stay too, home, man. drink a couple cold beers, and yes, play 42. That's it. Absolutely, man. That's the Absolutely. way to be, though. That's a Yeah. Well, like I said, it, you know, just listening to, to you guys talk and stuff, it's, uh, you know, we – we have a lot in common, and uh, so yeah. I mean, I, I was excited when you asked me to come in and, yeah. and sit down with you because you know I've never done anything like this before. But I thoroughly enjoy listening to the podcast, and uh, I really appreciate you inviting me to to come in. And of course, man, it uh, you know maybe we can set up another time to discuss some duck hunting. And we will. I, I've for been sure. a couple times with with you and your brother, and yep, it uh, dude, I. There's nothing better to me. That's I'm not much on deer hunting. I like to shoot deer because I like the meat. That's exactly how I am. Antlers, I, I could care less. You know, yep. and give me some meat out of it and let me do something, what I want to do with it because I love to cook. But That's how I, I am. I, I'd take a bad duck hunt over a good deer hunt any day of the oh, week. Oh, 1,000%. <laughs> I just don't know. I sort of talked about it with Zach. It's got to be just the camaraderie of being out there with your guy with your with your buds yeah you know you're cutting up in the duck blind you know absolutely all kind of good stuff absolutely and you know some of my most memorable duck hunts were the worst duck hunts i've ever been on you know as far as killing birds because it's uh you know the guys that you're hunting with and the the things that happen while you're in the blind and you know it's just there's so many funny stories that you can bring up (laughs) now and it's like yeah it's just great memories man i like and you know i don't really don't really get to go a whole lot you know and especially around here and you know if i'm going to pay money to go on a duck hunt i'm going to something where that's going to be worth my money you know yeah i'm not really much on you know paying for a guided hunt or anything that's local to the house so no if i go on one i'm going somewhere yeah Yeah. i'm the same way we usually go on one a year and it's usually geese you know i've been on one one duck hunt that i paid for and it didn't turn out how i wanted it to so yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, see, when I when I first kind of got into it, there used to be a guy down in Waller. On the, he had some property on the Katy Prairie, mm-hmm. and you could pay fifty bucks a man, and he'd meet you at a gas station, and he'd drive you to whatever field he's gonna put you on. He'd point you in the direction, say, "Hey, the pond's that way." You know, so you bring your own decoys, and wow. a, there'd be a blind there. You bring your own decoys and dog if you got one, and you know, you go hunt for the day. And whenever you're done, you just pick up and leave. And you know, 
it was a lot of times we got skunked. Um, but still, you know, I mean, that was, it's just a enjoyable experience to me. Like I've had people ask like, you know, why in the world would you want to go sit in a duck blind getting wet, getting rained on with the, the cold wind blowing in your face and you know how miserable that's got to be and i'm like you you just never experienced it that's the nastier all. it is the better it is amen brother you've never been bundled up in a duck blind and watch the sunrise and watch the steam roll off the lake oh it's know, the best man it's the yeah and I'm, I'm fortunate enough uh have people you know like arthur and and uh robert flores and them yeah. guys i get to do some hunting with them and you need to tell yeah. Arthur to come on here and talk to me and take me hunting sometime. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure Arthur come sit down with you, man. But he, uh, you know, this this last duck season, um, you know, a, a couple I got to go probably five or six times, and I'd be getting my stuff together, you know, the night before. And my son's always coming to me. He's like, Daddy, you know, I want to go. I want to go. Hey, you don't understand. You know, it's cold. It's you know, you're sitting on the water, and you know, you may not get a whole lot of action. It might get boring, you know, and. Well, finally, uh, the very last day of duck season this last year, um, he he was begging to go. I said, "All right, you know, you, you're coming with me in the morning." And so we, uh, I tell you what, he's one of the hardest kids to wake up to get out of bed for school, <laughs> dude. Not hunting. Not hunting. I, I I shook him one time. I said, "Bubba, you know, it's probably four o'clock in the morning." I said, "Bubba, you ready to get up and go kill some ducks?" You know. And, Man, he popped up out of that bed, buddy, and <laughs> he didn't have no problem brushing his teeth and he eating was his breakfast. Sleeping he was, light that oh, night, huh? Dude, he was ready to go, man. <laughs> it it never changes. It yeah. doesn't. Getting yeah. up for work stinks, but if I'm getting up for hunting, I'm up before my alarm clock. Oh, amen, man. I think golfing, uh, golfing, duck hunting goes hand in hand, like you're talking about. You yeah. might get skunked four days in a row. Yep. You might go crap yep. the bed on the golf course four days in a row. Yep. But what are you gonna do on day five? Yeah. You gonna give it another go? You, oh, absolutely, <laughs> man! I'm, dude, I'm right there with you. That's man. just, yeah, that's good stuff. I like, I've said it over and over again, but duck hunting is really what fires me up. Yeah, that's what gets me going. Yeah. So, well, I thoroughly enjoy it myself. I, you know, I was my very first duck hunt was here local with Arthur right after we graduated high school, and from that moment on, man, I've, I've just been hooked. Been hooked. Yeah. Yeah. Me it's and my brother, great. I think I was in like this fifth or sixth grade. We jumped up little group of mallards off of a pond behind our house and after that yeah. it's just been yeah. downhill and a lot of money and time since Absolutely, then <laughs> man. Absolutely. but there's worse things to be addicted to i guess i know that's right <laughs> believe me i've seen it yeah firsthand <laughs> well james i like i said once again i appreciate it so much dude this was so much fun i will definitely have you back on here yeah um my plans for the podcast are eventually i want to get a couple more mics in here we may get Two or three people in oh, here yeah. one time, maybe me, you, Jamie, and Arthur sit down or oh, something. Dude, some that'd of be the, enjoyable. You and some of the other old heads getting here, yeah. and have Jamie in here be the liaison between all of us. Absolutely, <laughs> dude. I I thoroughly enjoy that. Man. That'd I, be a fun time. Well, yeah. I appreciate you for all the support. Thank you for coming on, brother. And let's just try to keep this thing rolling, huh? Sounds good, buddy. I all appreciate right. you, man. We'll see y'all. Thank y'all. <laughs>